Um, I just want to welcome everybody that's watching online. Thank you for watching, especially those watching from the county jail. Why don't we give it up for all those watching from the county jail. We appreciate you. Thank you. We love you so very much. Thank you. We're praying for you. We really are. Well, the little boy, he was, it was Christmas time, and he was kind of looking at uh, his life this past year, and he knew he had some big gift items that he wanted uh, to get, but he had looked at his behavior, and so he felt like he needed some help from God to, you know, make, put this over, you know, the line to, to get these gifts. So he sat down at his little desk in his bedroom, and he pulled out a notebook and began to write to God. He said, Dear God, I've been a really good boy this past year. And then he thought about that. He said, you know, I can't tell God a lie. So he, he pulled that piece of paper out, wadded up through in the trash can, and started again and said, dear God, I've been a pretty good boy this past year. And he said, Man, that's not true either. I can't lie like that. And so he tore it up. He didn't know what to do because he'd been a terrible kid all year long. And so he just started walking around the house. House was empty. Parents were gone. He looked in the living room. He saw that nativity set. That, that, that beautiful picture of a camel, you know, it had, had the, the live little figurines of the camel, Mary, Jesus, and Joseph, and the wise men, and everything. And he started staring at that thing, and he put his hand down there in that little manger, and he plucked up baby Jesus, took him back to his room, set him on his little desk, pulled out his notebook, and he said, God, if you ever want to see your son again... <laughs> Oh, that's funny. <laughs> hey, have you ever seen someone who no doubt had the hand of God upon their life? Have you ever been around someone, you looked at this person, you said, you know what, this, this person God is really using. This is, this is an individual that I believe reflects the image of God. This is someone that I... I really feel, and when I'm around them, I, I, can, I can say uh, they, that they're living life right. They're unselfish in the way they approach life. They're, they're humble, maybe. Uh, they're, they're a person that seems like they're kind and joy, joyful all the time. They're almost as if like there's a special, we would call it an anointing on their life. They're passionate about God. I, I, I've been privileged to be around people in my lifetime, thankfully, to to be able to be uh, in their presence and experience these kind of people. I call them the cream of the crop, the, the, the beautiful, beautiful, wonderful examples of, of what a man or a woman of God should look like. And, and there's one in particular I wanna just, just briefly introduce you to this morning um, that I came across that I, in my lifetime. His name was Arthur Blessed. I'd never heard of Arthur Blessed. You may have heard of him, but many have not. He's just a humble guy. That in 1968, at the age of, I think, 28, something like that, um, he felt like he wanted to do something great for God. He wanted to tell as many people as he could about the Lord. And he was frustrated. He was living in, in uh, L.A. at the time that he, he, he didn't have this platform to do that. And so he's reading the scripture one day where Jesus encouraged us to pick up our cross and follow him. And so for him, when he read that, he said, that's, I, I like that. I, I think I can do that. And so he literally, this is Arthur Blessed, he literally picked up, he made a 12-foot cross, put a wheel on the bottom of it, and he began to walk. He walked down um, Sunset Strip and walked out of Los Angeles and across the country all the way 
to uh, Washington, D.C., stopping along the way, talking to people, preaching about Jesus. And he has done that now, and he's now 81 years old, and he's still walking the roads and carrying a cross. He's been in 300 and um, 300, let me say, 324 nations and islands and territories. He's walked 43,000 miles over this 53-year journey. And at the age of 81, he's still walking. That's 86 million steps. He has carried this cross so long that, that it literally has carved a little, Little, he's got like a bone in his shoulder. Like it's carved like this little groove in his shoulder where that cross is set for so many years. And he's had knives in his throat. He's had guns pointed at his head. He's been in jail. He's been beaten up. Uh, and he's been received welcomed by kings in some countries and beaten by thieves and others. But he's never stopped telling people about Jesus and loving God. And when I get around people like that, it just fires me up. I'm like, Wow. Thank you, Arthur Blessed. And I, I, I want to start a, a series this morning called Characters. And I want to just take a look at some lives of some individuals in the Bible that I believe we can look at in our biblical superstars. People that have perhaps lived their, lived their life in such a way that, that we look at them and go, I can do that. I, I, can, I, can, I can do what they did. I, I want to look today at a character that if you were a fantasy football player, uh, fantasy football uh, guy, you would, this would be your number one draft pick. I want to look at a person that if you were you know, trying to make an all-star baseball team, he would be the Babe Ruth of your baseball team. I, I, I want to talk about a guy that if you were like uh, uh, in, in your house and you wanted to hang that one person above the mantle, the fireplace, place for everybody to look at when they walked into your home to know that you're part of that heritage. I want to look at this guy. This is that kind of guy. And his name is Abraham. Everybody say Abraham. Abraham. And he was chosen by God to become the father of a new spiritual race. And actually, there wasn't much about him that we read about that was really of great distinction. He was wealthy. We do know that. He was very wealthy. We do know that he had a very hot wife, come on somebody, he had a beautiful wife, and we do know that he had going for him. But other than that, he was a rough guy. He was a, a simple guy, he never wrote a, a book, he never uttered a prophecy. We never see a song that he had authored by any means. We never received a law that he gave to us. His parents were heathen, in fact, unbelievers of God, and yet, in his lifetime, he would be called the friend of God. How would you like to be called the friend of God? Yeah. What a, what a great title, the friend of God. There was a couple guys that were sitting around talking about what they want people to talk about them and say about them when, when they die. And, 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 and uh, one, one of the guys said, well, I want people to say that he was a very a generous man. And the other guy said, well, yeah, I, I want people to say about me when I die and they're looking at me in the coffin, I, I want them to say that he was the most humble man they'd ever met in the world. And they turned to Joe and said, Joe, what do you want them to say about you? He says, well, when they look at me in that coffin, I want them to say, hey, he's moving. But one of the things that you want to see, what, what do you want people to say about you? This man was called the friend of God. And when it comes to faith, no one 
holds a candle to this man. He was the most, most faith-filled man you would ever meet. I like being around people with faith. Don't you like being around people with faith? Sometimes they like, like really bother you, you know, because you want to be pessimistic. You want to be negative. You want to be down. You want to, you want to just have a moment where you just, just tell everybody how bad everything is. And you've got this faith-filled person that comes into the room and walks into your little conversation. And it just is so optimistic and filled with life and hope and faith. And you're like, just be quiet. Come on. Come on. You know what I'm talking about? Oh, this Abraham, he, he didn't know about negativity. He was a man full of faith. In fact, let's read about him. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 8. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and he went. And even though he did not know where he was going, by faith, he made his home in the promised land. Like a stranger in a foreign country, he lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, his, his children, and when, who were heirs with him in the same promise, where he was looking forward to the city with foundations, whose architect and builder is God. And, and by faith, even Sarah, who was past childbearing age, was enabled to bear children, because she considered him faithful, who had, been, who had made the promise. And so, for this one man, as he, as good as dead came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as the sand on the seashore. We know very little about this man until he's in his 70s, which is encouraging to some people, I would think, in this room. <laughs> Let me just say this. Don't, don't think just because you've gotten older that you are washed up and of no use. Sometimes you've just come into your prime a.k.a. Colonel Sanders. <laughs> you were just ready for the moment. He's in his 70s, and we finally find out about this guy named Abraham. And we, what we do know, that he hungered for truth. We do know that this man desired to know the master creator. We know that he was wise enough to understand that the world just couldn't have ex come into an existence by some big boom or by some, some evolutionary process or uh, all these other beliefs of the time. He somehow, we don't know how, but he got a revelation of this, that there's one God. He probably no doubt didn't read about it anywhere. No one told him about it. But he got a revelation that there's one God, one true God. And this one revelation that there's one God and only a God, he wanted to know him. He wanted to serve him. He wanted to somehow come into a relationship. And let me tell you something. When you have a revelation that there's one true God and he desires to have a personal relationship with you, that revelation itself will ruin you for the rest of your life in a good way. How many have been ruined in a good way? Come on, say amen. You've, you've felt that. You've known that. You've seen that. It's touched your life. It ruined Abraham so much that it caused him to eventually give up certainty for uncertainty. This revelation of this intimate God that he desired to know would cause him to give up the seen for the unseen. 
It would cause him to spend the rest of his life chasing after this God. It would cause him to give up all the passions of the world and to begin to seek whatever it took to know this God. Do you desire God like Abraham? If Listen, listen here's what's encouraging to me. The Bible tells us that, that, that I carry the very seeds of Abraham in my life. I have the DNA of Abraham in my life. And I love that fact because that means that there's something inside of me that has the very faith of, of him. The Bible says in Galatians 3, 29, if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise, which means uh, that the same faith uh, and life uh, and vibrancy and hope uh, that live within this man Abraham lives inside of me. It's in seed form in many ways and many times, but it's there. All it needs is a little water. It needs a little bit of God's word and prayer. It needs a little, a little bit of, you know, you can, the Judean wilderness is an impressive thing. I've been reading about the Judean wilderness uh, over in Israel. And in some places it's so hot and it never gets any kind of moisture. And they have found that there are, <laughs> when, when you drop into what looks like a desert sand, if you can just drop a few drops of water into the soil, what you thought was nothing but dry dirt and sand, over a little bit of time comes a beautiful flower and that seed can literally sit in that sand for years, decades, and they said even centuries a seed can lie dormant in the, in the soil for centuries and yet come alive with just a little bit of water. Come on, isn't that powerful? Just a little bit of water, just a little bit of water, and you don't know what's, you have no idea the powerful faith that lives deep inside of your soul, and all it needs is a little of God's word, a little prayer, a little, a little massaging, a little, I'm, I believe this God, I'm going to walk it out, I don't know how it's going to turn out, but I'm going to follow this thing out, and I'm going to tell you, you can, you can be a great man and a woman of faith as well. Yeah. Turn to your neighbor, tap him on the shoulder, and tell, tell him, even you, even you, come on. Yeah, even you can be a great man, a woman of faith. What's interesting about Abraham as well, and I gotta get going, is that, is that the Bible's full of types and shadows. We call it types and shadows in Bible school. It means that when you read the Old Testament especially, see, here's why, here, listen to me, young people, this is good for you to know this as well. So what, when you read the Old Testament, it's more than just a historical book. And this changed my life, and this hopefully this will change you. I was in Bible school, and I had a teacher, her name was Donna Brown, and she said, I wanna to talk to you today about types and shadows. I said, what? I said, what is that? We're gonna talk about typing and, 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 and dark places? When she, was, she said, we're gonna talk about how you can look at everything in the Old Testament and see Jesus in it. And she began to point out all these stories of the Old Testament and people in the Old Testament and, and, and the characteristics and, the, and the, the trans, um, what transpired in the story and how it all pointed to Jesus and the cross. And when I saw that, I started reading every story looking for Jesus. And it changed the Old Testament. The Old Testament began to be something I craved. I wanted to read it. I wanted to see Jesus in a different way. 
And you can look at Joshua. Joshua, even his, as he lived his life as leading Israel, he, he was a warrior. And Jesus is a warrior. You see Jesus in Joshua. You see Jesus in Noah, the preserver of, the, of, of, of people in the face of judgment. You see Jesus in Esther, the one who would stand in the gap between the king and the people and see their redemption. You see Jesus in Moses, who would deliver the people from bondage. You would see Jesus in David, not only the fact that he was born in Bethlehem, not only the fact that he was a shepherd, but the fact that he was a king as well, a mighty king. But all these types and shadows of all these individuals and all these stories that you read and how they represent Christ, there's only one person. When you read about them, they represent and they're a type of God, the Father, and that is Abraham. All the other individuals and stories are representations and types and shadows of Jesus, but this man, Abraham, is a type of God, the Father. One who would be willing to give his own son, if that's what it took, to create a nation. Can I tell you that what we're going to talk about for just a few moments is a story of a man that if we look at it and allow his truths to apply to our life, can, can really change us in such a way that we begin to really look like the Father. And that's really what I want people to say about me, right? He looks just like his Father, Father God. So I, I, want, to, I want to look quickly at, at Abraham. I want to give you quickly some things about Abraham that teaches you how to walk by faith. Now, now let me just say that he did have his flaws. He, he was an impatient man to some degree, even though I, I wouldn't say that impatient. But, and he was somewhat deceitful at a couple of times in his life, fearing for his life, cre causing himself to act out of cowardness and, and say some untruthful things declaring his wife as his sister, not his wife. But, but for the most part, this man was an incredible example of faith. So let's look at six things about Abraham that teaches us how to walk by faith. Number one, he teaches me that I need to always stay spiritually curious. Spiritually curious. Ask your neighbor next to you on your right, are you curious? Come on, are you curious? You need to stay curious. Now, Abraham was raised in an area called Mesopotamia. Society's definition of purpose in Mesopotamia somehow didn't fulfill him. We read what the Mesopotamians must have been like in Hebrews chapter, excuse me, Genesis chapter 11, the chapter before. They were going to build, they were going to build a tower, the Tower of Babel. They, they said, we don't, need, we, we don't need nobody. We don't need no God. We, we're smart. We're intelligent. We're full of strength. We don't need nobody. All we need is just to build this thing. So, so, and, and, and we're God ourselves. We're, 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 we're somebody. And it was a very humanistic, if you would, society. And Abraham, I believe, began to look around and he began to see the emptiness of the, the belief system that he was somehow immersed in. He, he didn't like it. It didn't set right with him. Something just wasn't right. Have you ever been in that situation where everyone's telling you what they think are the facts, but you're hearing it, but in your heart you're like, but it just doesn't seem right. 
This is Abraham's dilemma. He's living amongst a group of people that wanted to elevate themselves and make themselves feel like they were important and of high esteem, but it was a hole in his heart that he couldn't reconcile. He lived with this vacuum somehow in his soul while everyone laughed and danced and had a good time. There was something inside of him when he went home at night and he laid his head on his bed. He said, I'm missing something and it's very important that I find this thing. You've been there. You know what I'm talking about, many of you. I, I remember in high school, uh, we would, in the wintertime, the, the ponds would freeze over and there's one particular pond on the edge of town next to the Hercules plant that we, all the young people in the high school would go to and we'd all ice skates out and we'd build a big bonfire on the edge of the pond and someone would bring some loud music and there would be loud music and, 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 and there'd be all this drinking and stuff going on. I remember, I remember going 16, 17, 18 years old and I'm standing there, I'm doing my little ice skating thing, come by the fire to get warm and, then, and I'm watching all my peers and they're standing there and they're, and they're, they're laughing and they're hanging out. They're doing, and you know, and, and for everybody else, that was just, that's just, that was just normal. That was just, but in me, something in my heart, I would say, there's, there's more to life than this. This is, this is not the way life needs to be lived. Now, now people were you know, breathing you know, legalism down. I just, in my heart, I knew this just is not the way you live life. And Abraham was in the same situation. And he said, I got to know this God. I, I got to hunger after him. I, I'm going to chase after him with everything I have. I if, if I only have a certain amount of time on this earth, I'm going to make sure that I maximize every moment to, to know this God that made me, that created me, that formed me. I don't know anything about him, Abraham, I'm sure was saying. But by golly, I'm going to know him by the time I take my last breath. I'm to know this guy. He's going to call me a friend. He was curious. The problem was no one around him believed in one God. Didn't even know his name, could care less, which leads to number two. If you're going to be a person of faith, you have to be willing to leave everything behind. Oh, I know that don't sound pretty. I know we don't like to hear that. Genesis 12, verse 1, God says to Abram, I want you to go from your country. In the Good News translation, it says, I want you to leave your country. And I want you and your people and your father's household, to, uh, I want you to leave your people, your father's household, and, and to the land I'm going to show you. And Abraham went, and as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him, and Abraham was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. He wasn't in some RV. He didn't have some nice camping set up. He didn't have a fifth wheel pulling behind him through the desert. It was camping 101 with his wife at 75. Abraham said, I'm going to do whatever I gotta do. And sometimes you have to leave some things behind. There's a story in the New Testament that talks about Jesus and he's walking through the city. It's found in the book of Mark. 
And he's walking through the city. There's a guy named Bartimaeus, and he's yelling, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. The people around him scolding him. Thomas says, be quiet, be quiet. You, you, you're, 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 a, you're a blind man. You're a beggar. No one wants to talk deal with you. This is an important man walking through town. We got to present our best face here. Come on now, just get, be quiet. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus heard him. And he said, bring this man to me. And so they called the blind man and, and they said to him, cheer up. I guess for some reason, don't know why, Jesus wants to see you. And the Bible says he got up and he threw off his cloak, jumped up and came to Jesus. Came to Jesus, Jesus asked, and Jesus asked him, what do you want me to do for you? Teacher, he says, I want to see you again. He says, go, because your faith has made you well. What, what faith? Faith is an action. What well, the man just got up and came to him. What faith? How did Jesus see any faith? What faith is there? He just came, he just walked across the street. No, no, no. You don't understand what just happened. What just happened. Because back in the Roman days, they had to have a way to know if you were a legit beggar. And so what they would do is they would, you'd have to go to the Roman government and would say, look, I got a big need. I can't see, or I'm blame, I can't walk, my, I, 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 I can't get out of bed, I can't whatever. And what they would do, they would say, okay, they would examine you and go, okay, yeah, obviously you can't see or you can't walk, you are lame, because you're going to be, you, you are officially now a beggar. You have, you, we legitimize you to be a beggar. And so they would give you a cloak. And this cloak signified to everybody that you were a bona fide approved beggar. And so that's why they would sit by the streets with the cloak on and they would, you know, have their little cup or whatever begging for it. And they, he couldn't see but people would give to him because they saw his cloak. He was approved. He wasn't legitimate. He wasn't a con artist. He'd gone through the certain steps to be legitimized by the government to be a beggar. He had the right to receive your funds. And you didn't have to feel guilty like you'd just been pulled, the wool pulled over your eyes if you gave money to him. They were legitimate. And when the Bartimaeus heard that Jesus had called to him to come. He had nothing done, nothing, no one touched his eyes, no miracle had happened. He just heard something in his spirit and his heart said, come. They, he said, they said, come, Bartimaeus. Jesus said, come. He stood up and he said, I'm done. I'm done with that identity. Leave me. Leave me to the Son of God. Leave me. Leave me. Leave me. I heard him say, come. I'm here. I'm here. I'm here, Jesus. I'm here. What do you want done? I want to see, Jesus, your faith. Your faith has caused this to happen. I've seen the action behind your belief. You do know that it's already happened. Bartimaeus knew it was already done deal the moment he heard Jesus say, come. And so it's not just a matter of a few moments and I'm going to see he's standing there. And that was what activated his miracle. 
And this morning, what you got to do is understand the enemy has come and he cloaks you with an identity. He puts this cloak on you and you've legitimized this cloak. I'm a loser. I'm, 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 I'm a failure. I'm a person that I can't get my act together. I've made so many mistakes. I don't even deserve to be in the society. The best I can do with the rest of my life uh, is to sit like one worthless individual and just beg for a few crumbs uh, from the people that got their act together. I'll never have my act together. And you have this identity and the Lord is challenging you this morning. Throw off your cloak. Uh, it's a new day. I've come uh, to deliver you and set you free. So you have to, as a man of, woman of faith, be willing to leave everything behind, including your own self-imposed identity. And number three, we have to understand from Abraham that waiting is huge. Waiting is huge. Can somebody say 25 years? <laughs> oh, Abraham, by the way, I'm going to give you a son. Woo! Whoa, Sarah! We're gonna have a baby. I'm 65. I don't know about all that. Oh, I think I'm way behind. No, no, we're gonna have a baby. This is gonna happen. Is we have a baby? <laughs> Ten years later, hey Sarah, we're gonna have a baby. <laughs> Twenty years later, hey Sarah. We're gonna have we're gonna have a baby. We're gonna have a baby. It's gonna happen. Abraham, you're embarrassing me. You're just embarrassment to society. Quit talking like that. No. He told me. So I'm gonna I'm gonna believe. I'm gonna believe. You need to believe. In fact, we need to go to the bedroom right now. Come on. Come. Watch TV. We're going to watch TV. We'll watch TV. So the question you have to ask yourself is, why, 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 what's up with the waiting stuff? I mean, that just seems like mean. Why don't God just say, hey, listen, you're going to have a baby. Nine months from now, boom. Oh, cool, yeah, I get that. 25 years? This is, this is like mean. No. But here's what happens when you wait. Waiting reveals idolatries in your heart that you didn't even know you had. I like Tim Keller, what he said. Tim Keller said, the human heart is an idol factory. <laughs> and even though Abraham left Mesopotamia, that doesn't mean that Mesopotamia has left Abraham's heart. And so for 25 years, God works him through a process to make sure that he knows him. And they have a relationship. And over that course of 25 years, we don't have evidence of this, but I happen to believe personally that God was just kind of working some things and dropping some things off of Abraham's life uh, that he didn't even know he had. Some, some idols, if you would. Some, and we all have them. We all have idols. Things that have happened to us that, that, that we thought, you know, maybe I had something to do with this. And, and we can make money idols. We can make, you know, 
uh, decisions we've made to turn out good idols. We can make people idols. We, we can make idols out of everything. We can make idols out of our children. And, and God says, I'm going to work out these idols over a course of time. And after finally, after 25 years, God's like, okay, you're idol free. It's time. And Abraham and Sarah have Isaac. Which moves us to point number four, faith hinges on my ability to trust. Can you trust God? Everywhere, what I love about Abraham, you read it in Genesis chapter 11, 12. Everywhere Abraham would go, he would take church with him. They didn't have church. How did he take church with him? Because everywhere Abraham went, he stopped. The God said, you right there. He, he, he set up camp and he built an altar. And he'd have a worship service. Oh, I worship you, Lord. I love you, God. I glorify you, Lord. It's time to move. Move, set up camp, build an altar. Father, I love you. I worship you. I glorify you, Lord. He learned how to take God with him through the wilderness, through the desert, through the hard times. You got to, listen, a person of faith doesn't abandon God just because things aren't looking good and don't feel right all the time. You, you take God with you everywhere you go and you build an altar and you seek the face of God. You let God speak and breathe into your life. There's nowhere you can't go that you can, you can put me in a prisoner of war camp and put me in a cell and I'm still going to have church. I'm still going to lift up my hands to Jesus. You cut my tongue out in my heart. I'm still going to be, mm, Jesus, I love you, Jesus. Oh, Jesus, I love you. Because that's what church is, really. It's giving God praise, becoming a sacrifice of praise. Oh, pastor, I don't, I don't, I don't do that praise and stuff. That's just not me. That's not my personality. Oh, oh if I told you you just won a million dollars, it'd be your personality. I seen you watch Alabama football. Don't tell me that's not your personality. <laughs> we are praisers. We're all praisers. We're all worshipers. And you have to bring, every time you, li- you don't feel it, you don't sense nothing, but you, you go like this, you lift up your hands, you lift up your heart, you lift up your song, you lift up your praise unto God, you're making a sacrifice of praise. You're making a sacrifice and the Lord, and the Lord responds to sacrifice. Hmm. Man, this is good stuff. Number five, faith grows when I realize that God is for me. Worship team, if you would come, thank you. Faith grows when I realize that God is for me. Of all that I've said, if you don't remember anything, just remember this. God is for you. Amen. This really is the only thing I really had to say right here, that, that, that point. God, I just feel like God today wants you to know he's for you. This song that they just sang a few moments ago, he is for you. It's gone all across our country like wildfire. Why? Because people do not believe that. Yet they want to. Baby, when you know that God's for you, everything changes. 
Once David realized that Jonathan was for him and was in his corner, he, didn't, he could bear the spears being thrown to him. He could bear the, the, the caves in the wilderness. When Jesus heard the father say, this is my son, I'm well pleased, he could endure the wilderness. When Peter, even though he had disappointed Jesus and basically said denied him, when, when Jesus came a few days later and cooked him breakfast, what Jesus was saying is, I don't care what you said or didn't say about me. The fact is, I love you and I'm in your corner and build my church, Peter. I remember I was worked in the church for six years. In the fourth year, I said, I'm done with this. This person that I'm working for is not acting like a Christian should act. I'm out of here. And I had a list a mile long of qualified reasons to quit. In fact, I told him I quit. And he said, why don't you just go home and pray about it. Come back in two days and we'll talk about it again. I'll pray, I'll pray, that's no problem, but I still quit. I went home and we, my wife, we, man, we prayed and I prayed. Bless her heart, she, she's agonizing with me and for me. And, 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 and the Lord would not give me a peace. And I remember, say, I remember she said, well, I, you're just gonna have to make up your mind. Just quit or don't go out, just do something. Stay or go, just, just do something. And I remember saying to her, I know, I know, but I don't have this peace. He goes, well, you know, I'm going to go brush my teeth. Just do pray. Just, well, I don't know. I'm, I'm done with this conversation. She went in the bathroom and I knelt down and I said, God, I don't want to stay here. I hate this job. <laughs> Give me peace, God. Give me peace. Bless this quitting. <laughs> and God's, God didn't say yes, God didn't know, but in my heart, there wasn't a peace, and I knew what that meant, and that meant, you're gonna have to stay, boy. She came out from brushing teeth, she goes, well, God say anything, I, said, I can't quit, I can't quit, I can't quit. She goes, all right, so I went back in, I said, I can't, I, I, I take that back, I'll stay. He goes, all right, and I said, I said, you'll have to fire me before I leave. He goes, I like that attitude. Two years later, he calls me in his office. I'm dried up, I'm shriveled up, all my hope's gone, all my vision's gone, all my life's gone, I'm just going through the motions. He calls my wife and I into his office and he said, and he said some very ugly, mean things. And then he said, I'm letting you go. Today, you, you're done. And I'm like, okay. And I got up and we walked down the stairs. It, in my heart, I'm singing, oh, happy day. <laughs> I'm so excited about being fired. But there was something gnawing at me because he had said some very ugly things and made some accusations about me in front of my wife, in front of her. And when we got in my office downstairs, I closed the door and I looked at her and I said, I don't care what he has to say about me. I got to know, do you believe what he said or not? And she said, no, I don't believe what he said. What he said about you is totally wrong. 
I love you. She hugged me and I'm for you. And I began to weep and cry. Just, to, just knowing that someone's for you. Once I got done with hugging her, I wiped my eyes. I said, all right, let's pack these boxes. We're out of here. And I felt good. I felt strong. When you know God is for you, you can go to hell and back. There's nothing that you can't walk through. There's nothing you can't face. No storm, no wilderness. Why? Because you know God is for you. I like what Philip Parham said. says, it's a little poem. He said, God believes in me. Therefore, my situation is never hopeless. God walks with me. Therefore, I am never alone. And God is on my side. Therefore, I can never lose. How many know that's the truth? That's the truth. This morning, I believe you need to know that God is for you. He's not against you. There's no one in this earth that is more for you than your heavenly father. Your parents, as good as they may be or bad, will never be for you like your father, your heavenly father. Your wife, your husband, your spouse, your good friend from high school or grade school, as much as you all hang out and are good friends, they will never be for you like your father's for you. He's working behind the scenes. He's helping you. He's maneuvering things. He's blessing. He's encouraging. He's breathing life. He's bringing hope. He brings people in and out of your life to lift you up. He did. If there's more he could do, he would do it. He's done everything he can to say, I am for you. He came his only son. What more does he have to do to convince your brain that you have someone in your corner? That there's someone that you can turn to when everybody else has walked away. There's still somebody that you can cry out to in the darkness of night and believes you and hears you and answers you and responds to you and is for you. So this morning, I don't want no one leaving, but I want you to stand, please. And I want to pray a prayer over you. I want to pray a prayer over you, and we're going to seal it with a song. And I want you to sing this song with everything you got, with every bit of energy that you have. I want you to just let it resonate within you. When you're driving down the road and you're by yourself and you just got a mean text or you just got a Facebook post and someone disliked you or whatever's going on and you, you just had an argument with your spouse or you just got a bad report from the doctor, you can drive down the road and you go, oh my God is for me. My God is with me. My God has never left me. He will never leave me. He's in my corner. 
merciful Father God right now in the name of Jesus I say in prayer and I speak a blessing over these people in the name of Jesus uh, I declare today Lord God that they understand uh, the depth uh, and the width uh, and the height uh, of your love that you have for them I pray that they will understand uh, that no mind has seen uh, no ear has heard neither has it entered into the heart of man that which you have in store for them let them today receive uh, with open hands uh, the blessing of their God and the love of their king in the name of Jesus we declare it done 